Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm gonna show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're gonna ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. And it's time to play ball, everybody. It is a 30-something movie podcast. Baseball movies. Uh, it's it's our sports month. I mean, it's our fun and games month, but uh, we seem to be in back-to-back baseball movies. Last week, we were talking The Sandlot, and this week, we are on Rookie of the Year. Um, so, as always, I am your host, John Reed, and I have with me my uh, my teammates here, Jeff Mazuka. How are you doing? Hi. I'm fantastic, man. Talking baseball movies, I'm in. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Patrick, how are you doing? Hey, everybody. Doing well. Patrick is, uh, Patrick pulled a bane and, and uh, you know, let us know it was time to go mobile. So uh, he is, uh, he's in the car at the moment, so he'll be joining us back here in just a little bit. Um, and then Bo, how are you doing? I'm well, John. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Uh, we may or may not, I think a, a Dennis may even be coming here in just a little bit. So um, he, we have a Dennis. Much like a Hulk, we have a Dennis. Um, slightly grayer rather than green, but that's a that's a different thing. Um, so our movies this time, this one is Rookie of the Year, and uh, this is we're going to jump into this one right away. We spoil freely here as we talk, so just be aware. We start talking about a movie that you don't want to know anything about. Skip ahead. Uh, hit that 10-second skip or, or whatever your button is on your podcast app. Maybe hit it once or twice. And then uh, you should be good to go there. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave us a rating, leave a voicemail. Uh, you can join us on Patreon. We've got a bunch of bonus content over there as well. So check that out because there's a lot of good stuff over there. And I think that's about it. So I think we're just going to dive right on into this one. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of trivia first, and then we're going to give you a kind of a, a lowdown of the major points in the movie for this one, and then we'll get into some of our deeper thoughts on this movie and our opinions. So this one came out on July 7th, 93, rated PG. It was one hour, 43 minutes, directed by Daniel Stern, uh, who did the Dilbert TV series and The Last Time. Writer was Sam Harper, did Just Married and Cheaper by the Dozen, the 2005 version. Producers were Robert Harper and Bruce McNall. Uh, Harper did Weekend at Bernie's 2. McNall did The Last Boy Scout. Composer was Bill Conti, who did Rocky and The Right Stuff. Cinematographer was Jack Green, who did Unforgiven and The Bridges of Madison County. Uh, editor was Don Camburn, who did Romancing the Stone and The Last American Virgin. Production company was 20th Century Fox. Budget was an estimated $31 million. Box office, $56.5 million. Cinema score gives it an A-. Flickmetrics gives it a 55%. 
Thomas Ian Nicholas played Henry Rowan uh, Hosengardner. I think was his name. Hosengardner. I think it was Hosengardner. Um, Henry Rowan Gardner was in American Pie and American Reunion. Gary Busey was Chet Stedman. He was in Lethal Weapon and Point Break. Utah. Give me two. Uh, Albert Hall was Martinella. He was in Apocalypse Now and Ali. Amy Morton was Mary Rowan Gartner. She was in Up in the Air and 8mm. Dan Hadea played Larry Fisher. He was in The Addams Family and Clueless. Bruce Altman was Jack Bradfield. He was in Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and Matchstick Men. Eddie Bracken was Bob Carson. He was in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and National Lampoon's Vacation. Robert High Gorman played Clark. He was in Forever Young and Leprechaun. Patrick Labreck was George. He was in D2, The Mighty Ducks, and D3, The Mighty Ducks. Daniel Stern was Brickma. He was in Home Alone and City Slickers. Ian Gomez was Odd Bellman. He was in My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Cougar Town. John Candy, who died in 94, was the announcer. He was in Planes, Trains, Automobiles, and Uncle Buck. Neil Flynn was Oki. He was in Scrubs and The Middle. Uh, Tom Milanovic was Hedo. He was in The Fugitive and Rising Sun. And Annie Bourbon played Ernie. He was in Invader Zim and Psych. Uh, so a couple quick things on here. We mentioned John Candy was in the cast as the radio broadcaster, but he is completely uncredited. Uh, his role was not mentioned in the credits because he wasn't originally cast in the movie. He was a late addition, so he's not in there. Um, but that's kind of a big, you know, for his part, that's a big uncredited part in this movie. I think typically if you're uncredited, you're not going to be in it quite as much as he is. That's surprising that he's not given any credit. Oh, so begs the question then who was supposed to play that part. Right. Do you know, do you have any ideas? I or don't, did, I, I didn't find that. I, I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe they would have been like, well, it's a Cubs movie. So let's get Harry Carey. No, that would have been great. That would have been cool. <laughs> I would have been good with that. Um, no, I don't know. I, I couldn't find anything on that. Uh, let's see. When Henry first goes to Wrigley Field as a pitcher, uh, I thought this was kind of a fun little scene. He goes to the player's entrance. And when he knocks on the door to be let in, an old man pokes his head through a hole in the door. Uh, at first, he doesn't let him in, but he reveals who he is, and they do a little bit of a uh, Wizard of Oz bit uh, where when he tells him that he's one of the players and what his name is, well, that's a horse of a different color um, and brings him on in through the doors. Uh, a couple of cool trivia things here, too. Following the film's release, uh, Nicholas threw out the first pitch at Cubs games and was invited to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game multiple times during the seventh inning stretch. During the 2015 National League Championship Series, where the Cubs faced the Mets, as they did in the movie, he attended Game 4 in a Rowan Gartner number 1 jersey, similar to the one that he wore in the film itself. And then following, I thought this was kind of a fun one too, following the Cubs win over the Cleveland Indians in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series to win their first championship since 1908, Nicholas, in celebration, tweeted the final shot from the movie of Henry showing his Cubs World Series ring. Uh, and furthermore, the director, Daniel Stern, briefly reprised his role of Brickma following the win. So some little, little Cubs celebrations there from the folks that were in the movie. Uh, did you guys have any other, that was, that was the trivia that I pulled out for this one. Do you guys have any other trivia about this movie? Anything that you found in your watchings or in your research? It's silly, but the, the woman who plays Henry's mother, it now plays a uh, Chicago police sergeant in the Chicago PD TV show. Oh, really? I haven't watched that show. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. I heard her voice and I was like, I, I, <laughs> 
I know you, but I don't know you. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure it out. I had to go to IMDb because it was bugging me. Well, we know she can throw a punch. Yeah. And a ball. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have nothing else to add. More trivia for this one? Yeah, no trivia. All right. All right, our synopsis for this one, uh, and then we've got the uh, trailer audio for you as well. In a world where the impossible becomes possible, young Henry Rowengartner, played by Thomas Ian Nicholas, stumbles upon a once-in-a-lifetime gift. When a freak accident gives him a rocket-powered pitching arm, he's thrust from the sandlot into major leagues. Gary Busey is the veteran pitcher, Albert Hall is the manager, and Amy Morton is the caring mom. Rookie of the Year is a heartwarming comedy where every underdog has his day, and this one is armed and dangerous. Mom, come on. I got a game. Henry thinks that he's actually going to play today. Henry Rowengartner had a dream. Rowengartner, get in the right field. Play in the major leagues. Only one thing... I got it! ...stood in his way. Home! Home! Reality. Until one day... Everything fell into place. How long will I have to be in the cast? August. And now rotate from the shoulder, slowly. Oh, oh, whoa! Funky butt-loving! Did he say funky butt-loving? Those tendons have healed uh, a little tight. Now, the kid who wasn't good enough for little league... Is pitching. Gosh, Henry, you can play for the Cubs. Hey. In the big leagues. I'm the new pitcher. Twelve-year-old Henry Rowengardner, the youngest person in history to play Major League Baseball. Hi, Henry. Welcome to the big show. But what can one sixth grader do against pros like these? Give me the good stuff. Anything he wants. Give him the cheese. The hot, stinky cheddar. Day in a run. What? What's the matter? Chicken? I'm not a chicken. You're the chicken. This summer, the majors. Hey, pitcher. Will be answering to a minor. Pitcher's got a big butt. Pitcher's got a big butt. Rookie of the year. Gotcha. Um, having listened to the trailer audio again, I don't know about you guys, but I vividly remember. Now I saw this movie a couple times as a kid. I vividly remember so much of that movie trailer as a kid. Like all the different, especially the um, the doctor getting hit in the nose, then exclaiming "funky, funky butt loving. loving." Yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> funky butt lovings. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. I I vividly remember this uh, as a kid. You know, just the trailer itself, much less the movie. That is a line that I will quote sometimes too. Like if I stub my toe or you oh, know yeah. bang my elbow or something somewhere around where I can't say the things that I really want to say, I'll just right funky. But loving. <laughs> yep. He sang funky butt loving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the, the, it's also the name of the more awkward tribute band for the Love and Spoonful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
That's a little something right it there. Is. It is. That's that. That's the content you only get here, folks. That's right. That's right. It's, it's a little funky. Um. All right. So we got some major moments for you. I have broken down the movie into ten. Count them ten. Uh, major moments. Actually, no. Count them eight. Uh, I, I combined a few. So uh, I broke them down into eight major moments for you. And this should give you kind of a quick flyby of the plot. Um, as I'm going through, if you guys want to interject anything as well, uh, anything about a, a favorite scene in one of these parts or anything like that. Um, or if you just want to encourage the listeners by telling them to throw the high stinky cheese, you can feel free to do that from time to time. The high well. stinky Limburger. Yeah. All right. So major moment number Little one. Baker. Oh, what's that? Garden hoser. I know. Uh, major moment number one, Henry Rulingfurter, an unskilled little leaguer who dreams of playing in the major leagues. That's <laughs> fantastic. I'm just letting you know, I I wrote down every name that he got wrong. I'm going to use them throughout. So Nice. Yeah. I'm going to plug a, uh, a, a Chicago t-shirt company called Obvious Shirts. Yes. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of shirts for Cubs things or related to Cubs things, and one of the uh, one of their shirts is just listing all the different names that Henry gets called by the manager. Oh, is it really? That's excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Obviousshirts.com. I own more than I probably should, and I can't prevent myself from continuing to buy. Just putting that out there. So, yeah, check them out. Yeah. Uh, Jeff is not just the president. He's also a client. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Much to my uh, wife's chagrin, I keep buying T-shirts. Well, would she be more chagrined if you walked around shirtless all the time? It'd be something. It'd okay. be something. Although I did buy her one for Mother's Day, then oh, because it's an obvious shirt. Yeah. All it says is "Mom." There you go. I think so, that's, you know. that's like like when I bought my college shirt in college. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's. It's obvious and it's perfect. No, absolutely. Go there. Go there. Cause I've seen those shirts, but I haven't ordered any yet, but I've gone to their website and I've checked a few out. And I'm like, okay, I might need to get one of these someday. You should go to their store. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so we've got, uh, Henry is an unskilled to say the least unskilled little leaguer who dreams of playing in the major leagues someday. Uh, likely not going to happen since he can't really even catch anything. Um, I was going to ask you guys, did you, did you play in the little leagues and were you ever as bad as Henry? Yes, I played and no, I was not that bad. Not that bad. Okay. I wasn't great. I was not that bad. I did not play because I realized at a very young age, how unathletic I am. Mm -hmm. So I just never really went that route. Okay. You went the spectator route. Yes. I was an athletic supporter. Yes. Wait, what? Nope, that works. Okay. Just, you know, live it. Don't. Live it, Jeff. It's all yours. Own it. Um, Yeah, I I don't know why. I mean, okay. So granted, I was probably not the most athletic kid either. Um, became slightly more athletic as long as it was something where I could run into other people or things later on in life. But as a kid, I did always want to play baseball. And I don't know why. I This boggles my mind. And I have yet to really ask my mom why. Uh, we lived in Texas, which I don't understand why we lived in Texas and I never played baseball. So it's it's hmm. a, it's a mystery. Isn't Texas more of a football state? Oh, it's both. I mean, yes, it's football, but it's I mean, pretty much you live and breathe little league baseball there too. Really, so, I I wouldn't have I honestly wouldn't have guessed that. Oh yeah, yeah. I always equate Texas with uh, 
with football. It is. It's definitely more of a football state. But especially I mean, like Friday night lights and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely more of a football state, but there's a lot of baseball down there too. And I I don't know why, because I always as a little kid, I was like, I want to be a catcher. Like I would love to be a catcher. I think that's kind of a cool position. And I always, you know, had all my baseball gear and I remember wanting to play baseball, but never got to play baseball. So I don't know why. And I haven't pressed the issue, so maybe I'll find out someday. Hmm. Someday. Um, yeah. So uh, he actually gets himself injured uh, on the field while trying to catch a fly ball. And when the doctor removes the cast, gets hit in the nose um, and exclaims the now iconic funky butt loving, uh, they discover that Henry's tendons have healed a little too tight. Just a bit too tight on the healing of the tendons there. Um, and it has caused him to have a super pitching arm. Now, I was told something similar by my doctor when I had multiple uh, dislocations of my shoulders playing football in high school that my doctor said, hey, your shoulders rotate more than most people's. You should have been a pitcher. <laughs> yeah, the, the rotation, I'm not sure, is a good thing there, Doc. It kind of hurts when it does that. Right. So, Yeah. That's beside the point. Doctor, it hurts yeah. when I do this. Well, don't, don't do, do that. that. And then my arms fall off, and, and it's like that uh, all-drug Olympics skit from SNL. That's really good. The big Russian's going to feel that tomorrow. Um, so they've healed a bit too tight, enabling Henry to throw a ball with incredible force. Uh, major moment two at Wrigley Field during a Chicago Cubs game. Henry's friends get a home run ball hit by the visiting Montreal Expos. Observing the Wrigley Field tradition of throwing the ball back to the field. Following the who? The who? The Montreal what now? Was it the Expos? Are they a team? Uh, they were. No, they're not. No. I know. I'm just just being a smartass. Okay. Again, they weren't much of one. Let's well, put it no, that way. Yes, right. <laughs> Uh, observing that Wrigley Field tradition of throwing the ball back to the field following an opposing home run, Gardenhoser throws it so hard it reaches home plate, 435 feet away on the fly. Um, desperate to save the club from declining attendance, general manager Larry Fisher looks to recruit Henry, and manager Sal Martinella visits him at home with a radar gun, discovers that Henry can pitch at over 100 miles per hour. So for the remainder of the season, Henry juggles the culture shock of playing in the major leagues alongside one of his heroes, the aging pitcher Chet Rocket Stedman, and socializing with the team. Under all that, his mother Mary tries to keep him grounded while resisting attempts by her boyfriend Jack and Fisher to exploit the young man. Um, is the I was going to ask you guys, because I know you guys have been to other stadiums as well, um, do other stadiums have as much of a rule or, or unspoken rule about throwing back the opposing team's home runs, or is that mostly a Wrigley thing? It's a good question. I haven't observed it anywhere else. Okay. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I've many... seen it somewhere else, but I, I certainly can't place it. Yeah. yeah. I don't recall them doing it in Milwaukee, but then again, often Cubs hitting home runs to Cub fans, so that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't see it in Boston or Minnesota for that matter. Hmm. I have to ask my brother. He's been to more than I have, but. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I was going to, I was, I was going to ask too, if you knew, I had tried to look it up real quickly. Um, and supposedly I, I was like, well, okay. When did this start? Um, and I was able to find a couple things on here that the throw it back tradition started in 1969. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Damn Mets. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah. I've inherited my father's bitterness towards the Mets because of the 1969 season. Oh, okay. Are you it's okay. I'll be, I'll be all right. Okay. Do you need, you need a hug? Then maybe. Are you, are you around? I'm not, but I mean, give me like 40 minutes and I can get to your house. All right. Okay. I haven't figured out how to do that over Zoom yet. <laughs> no. No. Uh, so Henry's major moment number three. Yeah. Henry's uh, first game is a relief appearance against the New York Mets, where his first pitch gives up a home run to the Mets' arrogant slugger, Hedo, and then he hits a batter, throws a wild pitch just a bit outside, uh, yet still manages to get his first save. Uh, Henry Ravaboozer improves his control under Stedman's mentoring and records a second consecutive save against the San Francisco Giants and his first major league strikeout. Moment number four, continuing to impress, Henry bats for the first time in a road game against Los Angeles Dodgers, frustrating the pitcher because of his small stature causes a tiny strike zone uh, to the point that he walks Henry on four straight high pitches. Then he starts taunting the pitcher at first and second base, and the pitcher retaliates by hitting the next batter, uh, Suarez, I think was his name. But Rosenbagger and Suarez managed to both score runs despite nearly passing each other on the base paths. That was always a funny scene to me as a kid, like when he's when he catches up with the kid and he's running right behind him, and he's like, hurry up. I'm going as fast as I can. Major moment number five, the Cubs are winning. Henry is growing in pitching and success and fame. Uh, his personal life becomes a little strained as his friends grow a little resentful. They're trying to uh, build a boat, and uh, they're not able to because he's not really around much anymore. He's doing um, Ray Charles-style Pepsi commercials and um, you know, stuff like that. So he's not with that his friends. That scene made me uncomfortable. The Ray Charles. Just a one? little. That scene made me uncomfortable, not going to lie. With him at the piano? With him at the piano and one of the girls untying his tie and getting all sexy flirty with this child. Well, Jeff, it was it was the 90s. It was a different age. No, I don't really have an explanation for it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Bumped on that a little. Yeah. Um, Mary breaks up with Jack and throws him out of the house when he tricks her into signing a contract that will send Henry to the New York Yankees. Um, Henry Runamucker resolves the conflict with his friends and team owner Bob Carson explains that he never authorized that deal with the Yankees and wants to retain Henry for the Cubs. Uh, Henry lets him know that he is going to retire at the end of the season, but he does, uh, Carson respects his decision and demotes Fisher down to hot dog vendor after learning that he tried to set up the veal, uh, set up the deal or the veal too, maybe, maybe, the veal, was, maybe the veal, bought some veal and set that one up. Um, I thought that was kind of a fun scene where you see him later on and that's, that's the only repercussion you see, but it's just enough to see him out there trying to sell the hot dogs. Yeah. On the bleachers. Oh yeah. Uh, on the last day of the season, the Cubs face the Mets again at Wrigley with Stedman starting. If the Cubs triumph, they win the division, move on to the World Series, and Stedman pitches his best game in years, but he injures his arm on the last pitch. Uh, the ball is hit to Stedman, who cannot throw it to home plate because his arm is hurt, so he runs home and dives in to tag the runner out at home, keeping the Cubs in the lead. Turns the ball over to Henry, who easily strikes out the side in the seventh and eighth innings. At the top of the ninth, Henry slips on a baseball again. Somebody needs to tell that kid to watch where he's running. How about it? I mean... I know it's I know you're in the big leagues and and like you're excited and the bright lights and everything else but maybe watch where you're going. 
Good advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Henry slips on a baseball again, reversing the effects of his first fall and reducing his arm strength back to the that of a normal 12-year-old. All right, so here we get the end of the movie, the final, uh, the final round for Henry. Uh, he is frustrating the Cubs and their fans by intentionally walking the first batter. He then calls his teammates in, explains to them he can no longer throw the fastballs, sends them back to their positions with a plan. So now, with their cooperation, Henry Rulengruder sneaks the ball to the first baseman, Oki, who tags the runner out. Henry walks the next batter, with whom he trades some insults. When the batter dares him to throw the ball high, Henry does so, but stops as the runner takes off for second and is tagged out, setting up a final showdown with his arch nemesis, Hedo, from the very first game that he pitched. Uh, Henry ends up throwing a changeup, which Hedo misses, and his next hit appears headed for the bleachers, but is ruled a foul ball. Henry opens his glove to find not his father's name, but his mother's name, Mary, in the glove. And so all the stories she's been telling him about how his father was a great baseball player, it actually turns out she was the great player. So in the stands, she signals him to throw a floater, which was kind of her, sign- uh, kind of her signature pitch. He does so and strikes out a shocked Hedo, who then throws a tantrum at home plate. Uh, I mentioned to my wife, we used to play uh, when we had the original Xbox uh, in our first apartment in grad school. Uh, she and I would play uh, MLB Slugfest, the Xbox game. Do you guys ever play that one? Doesn't ring a bell. No, but you know what? I think I've, go ahead and explain it because I think I have heard of what this is. So did you guys ever play NFL Blitz? Yes. Okay. So loved that game. So Slugfest was like the baseball version of Blitz. You could and and NBA Jam, too. So if you're doing well, like your player would catch on fire, you could actually punch a guy out uh, as he's you know stealing a base, or you could actually punch a guy um, if you were one of the runners on base. You could actually punch the baseman if he had the ball in his hand, and he would for a moment drop the ball and get disoriented, and you could take off for the next base to try to steal it. So basically, it was like a full contact baseball. Hmm. So it was a you fun. Know that is an outstanding prime. I'd pay money to see that in real life. I would too. It's kind of it's kind of like a little bit like a, an XFL version of Major League Baseball. A little uh, throwing a little professional wrestling in there, um, but the tantrum that he that Hedo throws when he loses this reminded us so much of some of the players in that MLB Slugfest Xbox game. You know, because some of them you'd get hit by the ball and then they'd throw a little tantrum or they'd strike out and they'd throw a little fit. And it reminded me a lot of that. Uh, so this then causes them to win the division title and for the Cubs to head to the World Series. Uh, then we spring forward just a little bit to the next spring and Henry Rosenberger is playing Little League again. Mary and Chet Stedman are now a couple and are his team's coaches. And after catching a potential home run ball that ensures his team's victory, Henry raises his fist to reveal a Cubs World Series championship ring, signifying his role in the Cubs World Series victory that year. And then they cued the Twilight Zone music, and we knew that it was all a work of fiction. (laughs) But just give it a few years. It'd be okay. So, I mean, movie-wise, you had the Cubs won the World Series I guess we're saying in, in maybe like the spring of 93 or spring of 94, they won the World Series in this universe. In Back to the Future, they won it in 2015. In Earth, 
I don't know if we're Earth Prime or whatever number we are. Uh, they won it in 2016. So, I mean, we've got... Doesn't you know, everybody think they're on Earth Prime? Like, isn't that how that works? Well, yeah, your Earth, your Earth is always Earth Prime. Right. You know. I wish I had a time machine. I'd go back in time and put some money on the Cubbies. Money on the Cubbies. Um, but so, so we know in the multiverse, there's at least three universes where the Cubs win the World Series. Recently. Right. Which is impressive when one thinks about it too hard. I think the, I mean, there's got to be others out there with, with even more. So, all right. Uh, did I miss anything? Anything, uh, any scenes that you wanted to point out? Anything that I missed or anything you wanted to throw a little bit more attention to before we get into our opinions on the movie? I don't think so. I think you summed that up pretty well. All right. All right. Let's go deep to center field with some deep thoughts. And now, Deep Thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. All right. Uh, typical starting, uh, starting question. When did you see this movie first, and do you like it? I first saw this one a very, very, very long time ago. Um, and do I like it? Yeah, it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, it's baseball. First of all, it's Cubs. Secondly, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's not a great movie in terms of baseball movies, but it's a fun one. It's a, a really good background movie for me. Um, you know, you know, every spring when baseball season is starting up and spring training is getting going, I'm I always try to find a couple of different baseball movies to put on and get myself back into the baseball mindset. And every now and again, this one will uh, will make its way through my rotation. And yeah, it's just it's entertaining. You don't have to think too hard about it. You don't really have to pay attention to it. Like I said, it's just it's a fun one to have on in the background while uh, while other things are going on. Yeah, similarly, I saw it a long time ago, probably when it first came out. Um, I definitely have enjoyed it over the years. It's silly, but it's good silly. Yeah. I was watching it, and for the first half of it, I'm like, I think I've, this is the first time I've seen this movie, right? I've never uh, seen this movie before. Wow. Then, then there's like enough parts of it that I'm like, oh, I, I kind of remember that. I don't remember that. Okay, maybe I've seen this movie and forgot all about it. Um, so I, it, I, you know, maybe I've seen this movie before. Not sure, but this was the first time that like I kind of remembered it. So um, take that for what you will. And I think not having like uh, the nostalgia piece. And not having, you know, like that, I think that for me, this movie would be an awesome movie to watch with like young kids, right? Younger than the main actor. And I think that was my mistake. When I first started watching it, I kind of assumed it was for the audience was for 14 year old boys. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think it is. I think it's for younger kids. And if it's like the family's really in the baseball and you want to have fun because once I, once I framed it out like that, 
now all the slapsticky kind of humor, all the silliness, all that, it just made so much sense because I'm like, if I was watching this with someone between the age of six and 10, I think that this movie knocks it out of the park. Um, there you go. Sports reference, sports reference. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it with that lens, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I don't remember if we saw this in the theater or if it was right after it came out on video, but it was pretty close to when it came out. Like I would have watched this when I was about 12, 13 ish years old. Um, so it would have been right around the time that it came out. And I remember enjoying this one as a kid and, and watching it at least a couple times, if not two or three times as a kid. And so when I'm watching it this time now, it's been, you know, nearly 30 years since I've seen it. So there are, there's a lot that I'm like, yeah, I don't know how much I'm going to remember this. And then as the different scenes come up, I'm like, oh, nope, I remember this part. Oh, I remember them working on the boat. Oh, yep, yeah, I remember the mom punching the boyfriend. I remember that. So, I mean, there were a lot of different parts that I recalled as it came up. Which was funny because now watching it as someone who has lived in the Chicago area for the last at least couple of decades, uh, if not more, um, actually almost the last almost 30 years at this point, 25, 30 years, um, I knew nothing about the Cubs when I would have watched this movie before. So I would have all the different like Cub references and things like that would have been completely lost on me as a little Texas Rangers fan watching this in the early 90s. Um, there aren't too many Cubs references, though, other no. than they haven't won a, a championship in quite some time. That's really the only Cubs-type reference that yeah. comes out of this thing. Some of the little, like, there's some little kind of teases here and there about how bad of a team they are and how they're so used to losing and, and things like that. Um, those are not even necessarily specific to the Cubs. There's plenty of teams that are not great teams that have long losing traditions. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I remember really enjoying this as a kid. The funny thing was when I, when I went to go have us watch this, uh, just the other day, my son who loves baseball, he's, you know, he's gonna be 16 next month. Um, he's like, oh yeah, I watched this one like a long time ago. I was like, Wait a minute. We've never watched it together as a family. He's like, yeah, no, I was like looking around on Netflix or something. And like, I don't know. I found it was a movie about a kid who gets to pitch for the Chicago Cubs. So I thought that'd be kind of cool. So I watched it. Like, oh. Okay. So totally unexpected. He, he picked it up, whatever. Um, I, it sounds like it would have been, you know, maybe a few years ago. So he was probably about the same age, maybe about 13 or so. Um, but yeah, he's, he's like, Oh yeah, I love this movie. This is great. Um, so the, the tradition continues. Um, is there anything about this movie? So what, I guess, what is it that works for you in this movie? What does this movie do, do well for you? I think it takes its campiness in the right way. Like it, it's a movie that understands that it's being ridiculous and silly mm -hmm. and it doesn't take that's itself too super seriously. It's a good way to put that. Cause you can do a movie like this and maybe play it too straight. Mm -hmm. And that's rough. Yeah. This one knows what it's trying to do. And the acting talent knows what they're trying to do. Indeed. And my gosh, what a lineup of actors and actresses. I mean, like, and I know that, um, I know that, uh, you know, whenever this comes out, that you guys were talking about John Candy on one of the episodes that came out a couple of weeks from now or whenever it came out, John Candy is just, even for the bit part that he has, 
he just brings it a hundred percent and just is amazing. You know what I'm saying? So like all of the actors just completely understood and they seemed to buy in, like no one seemed to be phoning it in. Even Gary Busey, like, which this is like, okay, this will be like, I can't remember. Like he was amazing in that role. Talk about not taking yourself too seriously. How about Busey walking off the field saying things like, what did I just say? Mm -hmm. I know. Like how meta was that for Mm -hmm. Gary Busey? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nope. And even when he starts, when there's a couple of scenes where he's like laughing, watching the kids on the field and and the mom kind of throws a look at him. And I'm like, I mean, it was supposed to be a part of the movie. She was supposed to give him a look, but still that Gary Busey laugh, it is still a little unnerving. You know, you're kind of like, okay. So we I both, thought the, both my wife I and I, the child actors did great too. Yeah. No, both on the Gary Busey thing, both my wife and I made almost the exact same comment that this was one of the first movies that we could remember not necessarily being creeped out by Gary Busey. Mm-hmm. That we're right. like, we're like, okay, that, and that's one of the things that for me this movie does well is that all the characters, even though it's a little campy, even though you know it's 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 cheesy and campy and, and all of that, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I would say most of the characters, the ones who are supposed to be the villains, they you know they twirl their mustaches just fine, but then everybody else really is, if they're not completely likable, then they're at least a little charming. And even yeah. even like Gary Busey, who I don't look at him and think charming most times, mm-hmm. um, even in this movie, I'm like, wow, I, I would love to see more of this Gary Busey in stuff. Right. Because most times I feel like I'm, I'm a little creeped out by him. Right. Uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Yeah. Because <laughs> one thing I've learned, Harm, respect for my elders. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's. It's just fun. And I I was kind of interrupting you and I was saying like the kid, the kid was awesome. Like that actor did a great job. The buddies were fun. Um, The scene with the boat was great. You know, where they pick up the girls. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm, you know, you guys take it for what you want, but uh, as someone that likes going out in boats and being out on the water, Throw a few life jackets in there guys. And I'm just going to leave it at that. That was, that was, and it's funny because it's, there's the dad and me kind of bumped on that. It was just like, ah, okay, let's get some life jackets out there. But well, t- twelve-year-old uh, John who couldn't swim would have definitely needed a life jacket out there. Yeah. Well, I just you know, and I don't I don't want to bring it down, but you don't have to search far to find out you know kids down by the water just having a good time and you know some pretty bad things can result and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's so cool. Like the boat scene was great. Like just everyone's got a boat, so they need to get a boat. Like I thought that was awesome. Um, it, it, yeah, it was great. And the last thing I'm going to say, cause I, you know, I haven't even come up for air and let Jeff speak here, but uh, the opening scene, I love the, the, um, you know, I, I, and I feel like I've seen it in a bunch of movies, but the really excited kind of strings playing while they're like opening up Wrigley Field, yeah, right? Like, and I feel like I've seen that in sports movies before, you know, like early morning and how it, the preparation, you know, it's tickets and programs getting like stacked and things getting cleaned. And they, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Those montage scenes are always cool to me. So I really dug the way the movie opened. It's when they do scenes like that, where it's like the opening of Wrigley Field and the tearing of the tickets and the everybody filling the stands. And it's it gives me the same like, childlike wonder and enjoyment as that crayon segment that Mr. Rogers did. 
Mm. Like where mm-hmm. you get to watch the crayons get made and then get wrapped and everything else, and you, you're watching the same thing with Wrigley Field. I'm like, oh yeah, this is soothing. I'm enjoying this. Mm-hmm. What this movie does well, I think for for me, I, I've already said, I think the the characters that are meant to be charming are charming, even the ones you wouldn't expect to be charming. Gary Busey are charming. Um, <laughs> the other thing that this does for me is I think this is just a great, especially for kids. I mean, there is, I watch it as an adult and there are a few things that didn't, didn't hit well for me as an adult, but as a kid, and I remember watching this as a kid, this is such a great wish fulfillment movie, you know, that, you know, it, it was, this could happen to anybody. Anybody could trip and fall and break their arm and all of a sudden become a major league pitcher. That's kind of cool. Like it wasn't magic. It wasn't anything like, I mean, granted, yes, it is magic, but, um, <laughs> you know, you could imagine maybe if I broke my arm, that would happen to me or, you know, something like that. But it's a, it's a great wish fulfillment movie of there's a kid your age. And I probably would have been about 12 when I watched this. There's a kid your age that gets to go be a major league pitcher and face off against the pros. Um, so I think that's one thing this movie does very, very well is it is such a great wish fulfillment movie for kids. One of the things that I struggle with, with this movie, and I mean, I don't know, any, really any sports movie is when you cast people that don't really look like they know how to play the sport. They're supposed to be really good at playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, such as Gary Busey being a pitcher. Well, yeah. <laughs> like he just, he, like there's nothing about watching him pitch that would make me say he's the stud pitcher. Mm-hmm. Let me watch that game tape and emulate that one. Um, and then same, like same thing with um, Bull Durham, mm-hmm. you know, and watching um, what's his name? Costner. Not Costner. Or not Costner. Um, uh, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, watching Tim Robbins pitch, he looks absolutely ridiculous. Like there's nothing about him that says he's ever thrown a baseball in his life before. Yeah. So that stuff, uh, you know, always kind of bugs me a little bit, but. That's how I felt watching them throw the football in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's so many things that bug me. That's not all you felt. Well, (laughs) It was it was the sounds, the sounds and the lack of understanding basic biology, anatomy, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um. Anywho. Yeah. You know that that is something that I tend to bump on with uh, with sports movies in particular. Just like why why is it that we can't figure out how to find actors that can pull this sort of thing off? Like. You know, you just mentioned Costner. Costner can pull off a convincing ball player mm-hmm. really well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just watching uh, PUC pitch, I'm just like, oh, God, this is, like, painful. It must just be putting the effort into it because if you can choreograph Ewan McGregor and Ray Park to learn a lightsaber fight, or if you can choreograph all kinds of stuff in the movies, dance routines and other I would assume you could find some kind of stunt coordinator or choreographer or some consultant that had been a pitcher or a pitching coach that could teach these actors at least for the 0.75 seconds they need to to make it look like they're actually pitching a ball. So I wonder if it just comes down to, eh, 
the the general public will not notice that. So whatever. Because I guarantee you could get you could get somebody who can train for a little bit of time to make it look. I mean, that's they're an actor. That's what they're supposed to be doing. Right. But yeah. Um, no, I, I hear you, John. I, I mean, that's that's an interesting point because, like, I mean, Ray Park is a stunt dude, so I mean, that's you know the one thing. But yeah, it's like if you put Gary Busey in a like three month pitching regimen, you know what I'm saying? Like, because that's what you know these guys always. Um, that 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 would be interesting. Or do you not? Because it's rookie of the year and not Field of Dreams. Well, you see, then then there's that piece. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a kids' movie. How I many mean, of the kids are going to tell? You know, the parents maybe the parents that are big baseball fans maybe can tell that I'm a crappy pitcher. How many of the ten to twelve year olds that are watching this are going to be able to tell? You know, maybe I pitch as well as they do, so they won't be mm-hmm. able to tell. But yeah, no, I, I it's a good point, Jeff, because there have been other times where, as I've watched other sports movies, same kind of thing. I'm like. Look, I, I'm not even calling myself e- even an amateur by any stretch of the imagination, but I can tell that that's not the way you do that. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a it's a very small yeah. nitpicky thing. The other thing that I wanted to mention was: Did anyone else notice how small Barry Bonds looked in this movie yeah. compared to <laughs> compared yes. to how he looks or looked at the time that he uh, finished up playing baseball? Yeah, I was like, for half a second, I was like, man, that's a weird actor that they got to play Barry Bonds. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Just, it's very interesting. Here we go. I, I'm not here to, to criticize or make claims about how people proceeded to run their careers. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, did anyone notice how small Barry Bonds looked in this movie. Yes. You know, it's it's probably because as he moved through his career, he, he found a lot of importance in breakfast. And I think with a good breakfast, you get to be stronger, you play better. Um, plenty of juice. I think plenty of juice at breakfast will help you and get to be Plenty of juice at breakfast. Yes. Well, we'll help you get to be that big. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so the one, kind of the one nitpick I have, because I, I most other things in this movie, I let them slide, because I'm like, it's a kid's movie, I, you know, I'll, I'll forgive some of these other things. Um, the one thing that, and as I read a little bit more on some of the background of this movie, is Daniel Stern, uh, the director of this one, um, he pretty much wanted to make this movie because of kind of some of the experiences that he had watching Macaulay Culkin get kind of bossed around by his dad on the set of the Home Alone movies. And so he wanted to make a movie that showed what are some of the downfalls of kids, um, you know, being put in situations like this where child actors or athletes or things like this, and their parents are just <laughs> relentless and how their parents are, are really just pushing them and, and driving them in an unhealthy way. And he said that was one of the reasons he wanted to make this movie was to kind of show that, uh, in not a lighthearted way, but you know, obviously he didn't want it to be like a, a serious, intense drama. Um, but that's what he wanted to show in this movie. So I think what 
really bothers me about this movie, and I, I must have thought it was funny as a kid. I did not laugh at any of the moments as an adult. Maybe when you get trapped in the in between the two doors in the hotel, that um, was pretty good. Yeah, that part was pretty good. But the character Daniel Stern's character of Brickma, I hated him. I could have done with them cutting every scene he was in, and the movie would have been just fine. Well, and he's supposed to be the Cubs' pitching coach, which right. says a lot for the Cubs. Which is why Gary Busey is pitching the way he is. If but, you want, like, if you want to even have anyone think that you are a serious baseball club, mm-hmm. and you're saying that's your pitching coach, yeah. good, good Christ, you are just setting yourself up for all sorts of problems. Yeah. Like I, I just I struggle to believe that he would actually be employed yeah. as a pitching coach. That was where I wanted the movie. So we said the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. His character is the part of the movie that I would have liked it to take a little bit more seriously. Yeah, it's just a way too goofy. Yeah. Even for that team. Right. I kept waiting for, for him to pull something out of Bull Durham and be like, you have to breathe through your eyelids. Right. Anything else? Was there anything else that didn't work for you guys? Anything that kind of, other than those we've already listed, was there anything else that you, uh, to use Jeff's phrase, that you bumped on a little bit? Just the general, like, sort of going with the pitching coach, like some of the just ineptitudes that wouldn't really exist in a real major league franchise, but I think that goes, some of that goes with the suspension of disbelief in the movie to begin with. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But like you said, there's a point where even Dan, where Daniel Stern's character maybe goes past that. And I think they go right up to that line a lot. And depending on your mood, I think that line is a little uh, flexible. Maybe. Yeah. It's a good word for it. I, I would agree with that 100%. All right. I, do anybody have anything else on this one uh, before we jump into three questions? Anything else you want to say? Any other thoughts or opinions or a favorite scene? or Anybody just want to say Funky the, Butt Lovin' one more time? I, that was pretty good. I, uh, I really liked the music. I thought uh, yeah, the, the soundtrack was great. Was great. You know, and there was one scene where he's going to jump or catch something, and it almost sounds like Holst's the opening to, to I think it's Jupiter. And so I don't know if they actually played Holst's Jupiter or if he just kind of borrowed heavily from it when yeah. he wrote that. But I'm like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And then you know, some of the there was some big band music that they played in sections. So yeah, I really thought the I thought the music was pretty awesome. I always love a good Bill Conti theme between Rocky and Masters of the Universe. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, you know, sometimes, especially in movies like this, movies that are kind of like it's a kid's movie, it's not, you know, don't don't take it too seriously. Sometimes you kind of gloss over the composer. You kind of gloss over the music part of it. But I found myself mm-hmm. listening to it and going, like I could hear little moments of, oh, that sounds like Rocky. Oh, that sounds like Masters of the Universe. That sounds like... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I could clearly, even if I hadn't seen it in the credits, I would have immediately gone, oh, it's Bill Conti. That's cool. Yep. Yep. 
like he said in Jurassic Park, spare no expense. Mm-hmm. All right, it is time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. If you could play a pickup game, as they do in the movie, they play a pickup game uh, in Wrigley Field. If you could do that at any Major League Baseball stadium, which one would you choose? Rich, Wrigley Field. Yeah, me too. Figured that was kind of <laughs> that was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, ditto. Although, if I had to choose a secondary, yeah, I mean Fenway, mm. indeed, or even uh, Camden Yards, I would consider. Okay. Not a bad choice. Um, did I already? I don't know if I already told you guys this or not. Um, actually, by you got us time, tickets to go to a Cubs game together and <laughs> play on the field. Yeah, sure. Yes, with with all the money we're raking in for the podcast here. Um, Patreon, no, I, Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Pat, insult a few other people's favorite movies, then we can go to a Cubs game. <laughs> um, <laughs> So by the time, actually, you know what? By the time this episode comes out, uh, my wife and I will probably be in Boston. And I don't know if I told you guys or not, I was trying to, I looked at that week and I was like, oh, we're going to be in Boston. We should go to Fenway. I looked it up. They're going to be in Wrigley that entire week. Yeah, that made me chuckle. I'm not oh, going to lie. Great. That's that's awesome. Um, so my backup, I, th- I think that would be, that would be kind of a fun backup. Uh, my answer is Wrigley. Um, actually, I think my backup would be the stadium I spent the most time at as a kid, and that would be Texas Stadium. I would pick that one. You're going to see, and when we get to question number three, when we get to who's your favorite pitcher of all time, you're, you're going to see a, a theme running through the Texas Oh, I have a hunch part. I know what your answer is. I bet yeah, I, th- I, I think I know that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I hope I do. If I'm wrong, I'll be shocked. No, he's, he's a hero to us all. Isn't he, though? Yes. He don't mess around, boys. He just throws a mean fastball. Mm, and for a long time. Yeah. Like, the impressive thing about that man is his, well, everything, but just the longevity at which he did it, The mm-hmm. it's just everything. Mm-hmm. Insane. Patrick, where would you play your pickup game? You know, that I don't know the stadiums enough, but I'll tell you, um, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by different, you know, uh, stadiums and, and all that. And I think I, I, I probably told this story a whole bunch um, whenever we've talked about baseball movies, but I actually worked with a guy. He did our summer music camp and he taught, he's a band director and he taught over at Lake Forest High School. And he did a thing one summer where he and his buddies got in a car and they saw, what was it? They saw consecutive games at every ball club in America. And it took them like a couple of months and they just, they went and it was every day they were seeing a different, and it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that was their, I think that was their shtick is they had to see a game every day. Okay. 
or something. I don't know. But he said that, and there were some weird trends that came up too. Like he said, for some reason we saw like this one team, like four games in a row, just because that's the where, or, or sometimes there wasn't a game being played. So we had to drive like 14 hours just to get, but his perspectives on like the different stadiums and how they do things and how they play up the, um, like the Tampa Bay Rays have a, a, a stingray petting zoo mm-hmm. in like the stands and just the food is amazing. And, um, you know, and he, he gave feedback on like, Hey, that park's kind of famous because it's famous and because it's old, but let me tell you, you go to this park and the experience is amazing, you know? So I'm really just dodging around the question. What I, what I'd probably do, cause I don't, I'm not necessarily tied to a team. Um, I don't know, but I, I, you know, like go to one that's has the most historical kind of impact in it, or maybe has the best food or I don't know, man. All right. So let me, let me ask you, I'll, I'll change Sorry. the question. I, I, I hey. just rambled on the question. No, no, no. We're, we're teachers here. So I'll differentiate for you here just a little bit. Um, so th- this one for Pat fancy words you, uh, and, and we didn't even have work today. Um, so Pat, yeah, what the if, heck, man? <laughs> I, I know. Uh, so Pat, if you had, if you had a, a, a couple of golf, oh, road America, Laguna Seca. Okay. I'm sorry. Finish your question. No, I, I, I if, anticipated. If you, had, if you had a couple of gloves and a baseball and you were taking your family and you were just going to like throw the ball around play catch a little bit, which racetracks infield would you do that in? <laughs> See, there, there you go. I was already on it. Well, I mean, yeah. So I guess my, my favorite racetrack would be, uh, you know, road America up in Wisconsin. Okay. All right. But, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll let you, you answer know. the question that way. That's fine. Right. But no, but I, I seriously, like, I mean, I'm, I can't pretend to be an expert uh, about baseball, but I'm fa- I want to learn more. You know what I'm saying? So I would yeah. love to, I go mean, to a game, man. let's go to yeah, a game. Well, you tell me I when I'm to. there. I've been to, well, I've been to a bunch of Cubs games. I've been to Sox games. I've been to twins, the Brewers, you know, I've, I've you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I like learning new stuff. So, you know, I'm obviously on the podcast with the right guy. So I thank you for your differentiation, but, uh, uh, and I'd have to say road America up in Wisconsin, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. But yeah, I would, um, yeah, I just love to go to a game and be educated. You know what I'm saying? There's an interesting alternative answer to this question that I just thought of. Yeah. What's that? The next one, someone's talking about tearing down could always be the right answer to this question. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's about to go away. Mm-hmm. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. man, I'm thinking about all the stadiums I never got to. Yeah, that's and true. Some of them deserve to be torn down from what I heard, but still, yeah. you know? Like uh, Old Riverfront in Cincinnati and Old Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were yeah. just big circles because they were designed to be everything, but still never made it. The Expo Dome in Montreal, just the history behind that thing. Was yeah. it uh, up in Toronto? Was it Rogers? Rogers the original Field? Sky Dome, yeah. Well, Rogers, I don't remember, is it Rogers Stadium or Rogers Field? I think it's Field now, but it's been through a few names, so anything's possible. Uh, they've got the hotel that uh-huh. overlooks the outfield, so you can get a hotel room. And like, just sit by your hotel window and watch baseball. That would be so amazing. Which we almost did. We stayed across the hall from one of those rooms. When we went, we almost for our last night thought about, um, 
switching, you know, getting, I hear it is like ridiculously expensive. Oh, it was like 600 bucks for the night or something like that. Yeah. No, that's, that's quite all right. That's okay. Thanks. (laughs) I mean, Toronto, beautiful city. I'm definitely planning on going back sometime. There is. So my brother went and you can, I guess you can go up to the top of the CN tower during a game and look in to the stadium. Yeah, provided they have the roof open, absolutely. Right, and so he's got a shot using his iPhone from up there, zooming into the field. It was insane. <laughs> One of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's awesome. Like CN Tower was fantastic as well. If you if y'all ever go up to Toronto, that's worth checking out. You can get dinner up there. It rotates. It's really cool. All right, question number two. There is a scene in this movie where he is playing on a Game Boy and ignoring pretty much everything Chet is trying to get him to uh, listen to. What was your favorite game on the original Game Boy system? The old black and white Game Boy. Uh, what wasn't my favorite game on that old system? Which I still have a couple of working ones around here somewhere. I was thinking the same thing, Patrick. I was having a hard time with it. Tetris? Uh, I, I, Tetris is great. Which music did you select, A, B, or C? Ooh. I think A. You went A? All right. Sounds right anyway. It's been a long time. I rotated through all of them. Yeah. Um, there was a, this will shock no one on this podcast, but there was a 25th anniversary Star Trek game that I played a lot of. Oh, how did that's I on that? <laughs> yeah, I played was, a lot of that, and it was that so was, not great. Oh, but it was so much fun. Well, it was, but when you think about it for a minute, you're like, oh, yeah, that game was terrible. I played a lot of WWF superstars. Paperboy. Paperboy, yes. I played uh, on both the Nintendo and the Game Boy a disturbing amount of Paperboy. Oh, yeah. Castlevania? Oh, go ahead, Bo. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good pull. That, that Castlevania game was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. God, yes. Even the Mario game was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mario was good. Bo, did I interrupt you? No, no. No, no. This is all good stuff. If anyone played the Bugs Bunny game, that game was really addicting. Like, you were just running and you'd go through different doors. It was almost like elevator action. But you just you run along and you have to get through different doors and it was solving puzzles. That was awesome. Mine was mine my my two that were kind of tied for first were the Star Trek twenty fifth anniversary game. Played a ton of that game, and the other one that I played ridiculous amounts of was the T two Judgment Day game. That's right. That oh, was a T two Judgment Day. That game was so much fun. And I looked it up, and you could, I mean, if you have a working Game Boy, uh, you can, I found the T2 game on eBay for 20 bucks, and I found the Star Trek 25th anniversary for 20 bucks. Nice. So if you wow. have, and actually I think I have, I haven't fired them up in a little bit, but I want to say like a year or two ago, we found, I, I want to say it might have been Sharon's old Game Boy and my old Game Boy, and I think they both worked. So I've, I've got them sitting around here somewhere, and we've got a whole bunch of games. That's so cool. I'm going to tell you my favorite, I think my favorite game of all of those 
was a racing game called Wave Race. And you would sit and you were supposed to be on jet skis. And it was uh, from one to four players. And this was when you could also link. Remember how you could link to Game Boys? Oh, yeah. And then you could go head to head. And the game was, it, it had all different levels. So you started with the 50cc and then the 80cc and then the 100 And you had to work your way up. And then you had to, and then the other guys were faster. Like there was a guy that was just legit faster. So you had to like, like the way you drove the corners, cause you were on water. So you'd skid out and yeah. stuff and, and drift. So like you could take different lines into the turns. So you had to like come up with a way to like beat the guy that was just his wave runner was faster than you. So you had to like build up power to use the turbo and then drift. And then like, if you drove the lines, right. Right. Like, so it, it wasn't like there was only one way around. Like you could, it really was a challenging game and the better your skill is you could do that. And uh, so my gosh, we would just play hours of and hours and hours of wave race oh, yeah. because it was always, there was always a more challenge. And uh, I actually just last year, my dad's basement, we pulled out the old uh, game boy, fired it up four double a batteries. And, and it's funny because my brother and my, records are still saved in there. <laughs> like, I mean, we haven't, we haven't turned the thing on and Oh my God. So what was it? 90, like 35 years, maybe. And like, it was like, Oh my gosh, I remember when I set this score, it was, it was really cool. So that's awesome. wave race, wave race would have to be my number one game. Yeah. Right on. You know, my other one, I just thought of while you were talking about that was um, alleyway. Yeah. I love that. I played that one for hours. That's awesome. That is something else, man. You know, just do an entire podcast on old Game Boy games. Right? Yeah. The 30 something Game do Boy it. podcast. All right. Um, my answer for the next one is going to be so obvious, I, I would imagine. Uh, but who is your favorite Major League Baseball pitcher of all time? Jeff just rejected your question. Bum, bum, <laughs> ba, ba. Jeff doesn't have an answer. I, oh, I do. Bo does. Bo Jeff, would, Jeff has too many answers. Too many answers. Greg Maddox. Okay. Ah, son of a. <laughs> <laughs> so he was another guy who pitched a really long time. Another guy who just was on some dominant teams. Um, he <laughs> he's also just so like he's kind of a serene dude, right? Like he's just out there doing his thing. And you know, he's I don't even know how to describe it. Like he was always kind of a he wasn't a stud, but he was just consistently awesome. Um and he's got cool. a great quote that of course I can't find he was definitely a precision pitcher like right and that it's he, funny because that's what the he could locate is. he could locate a pitch better than anyone else like you know i want the pitch to go right here in this exact spot and he would get it there and yep. then he would alter it ever so slightly here's the quote i love this no need to steal the sign i'll tell you what i throw it's an 89 mile an hour sinker and you won't even swing at it because <laughs> it yeah. just drops off the table. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just, say the last part I did. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, 
he's got some yeah. great quotes about velocity and like, you know, yeah, I threw an 86 mile an hour fastball, but I could put it where I wanted every time. <laughs> he's one of those guys that like, if you could, if anyone could ever get him to talk about his craft and his, uh, his theory of pitching, you'd best shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Just listen, absorb. Here's a, a, a quote, a quote by another pitcher about Greg Maddox. I throw 86 and so did Greg Maddox. If I spot up, I'll be fine. Yeah, but does your fastball decide to take a 90 degree turn three feet from the plate? His <laughs> does. Like that, you know, stuff like that. He was just, it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that is a great, that is a great choice. Pat, do you have one? I again, I'm I'm just remiss. I don't know enough about the game uh, to be able to say a favorite. I'd have to say Dennis Matuch. Um, Done. So I'd have to say that. Wait a minute, and and if in a second place, if, uh, if Dennis Matuch is not uh, Dennis Matuch, would be my favorite uh, pitcher. What did, what was Sam Malone? Pitcher. There you go. Made him Malone yeah. pitcher. So okay. I'd say those. And I, I'll be that guy. I'm so, I just don't know enough. But again, I want to like I want to hear you four talk because it's just education for me. But I'd say my favorite pitcher would be Dennis Matuch, and then second place would be Sam Malone. So what's really creepy about this is you said his name three times, and like Beetlejuice, he appeared. That's it's kind of that's amazing. The way we, that that's yeah. the way we roll. Yeah. That's right. the way you should you should be on a team that we coach together. Let me tell you how crazy that gets. Uh, I think I'm I right. can only imagine. <laughs> All right, which movie are we talking about? <laughs> Hi, Dennis. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Mark. Hi, Hi Mark. We oh, are, we're, on, we're on three questions. No. Question number three for um, uh, Rookie of the Year. So it is right, who, greatest, right. greatest Major League Baseball player of all time, or greatest Major League Baseball pitcher of all time. Who is your favorite? So not favorite, but greatest? Well, uh, how, did I, how did I word that question? Yeah, that's who is your, I said, who is your favorite of all time? Okay, favorite. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go with. Uh, so I gotta go past and present. I'm gonna go with. I, I got. I'm pulling a mazooka here again. Um, I cannot give one answer. <laughs> That's okay. Reject- Jeff, Jeff just I'm, rejected I'm, the whole question. I rejected go, the whole question. I'm honestly gonna go back and I'm gonna say uh, Tom Seaver nice. because it was my reading of the art. I got it for a birthday gift or not birthday gift, a Christmas present. The Art of Pitching by Tom Seaver. And it just kind of ignited this love of pitching for me and this approach to it. Um, that whole one-on-one battle between pitcher and hitter. And it's this, you know, battle of wills and smarts and chess and everything else. And, uh, and he had this workout routine and the job exercise for your shoulder. And it was something that kept my shoulder completely high. But I love Tom Seaver. He came to the White Sox at one point too and pitched later in his career, but he was just like, you know, just, a um, just a, a really big student of the game and, and, and the way he pitched and approached my modern, I'm going to go with Burley for the White Sox. Yes. Um, just because that guy, this guy's amazing. Like, I like for modern day, me getting to witness somebody in their prime pitching and his approach. And he was a quiet kind of leader. He wasn't a like bragger and big cocky guy. He just kind of went out there and did his job and he did it so well. And he was just clutch and cool under fire and just like, just, yeah. So I'm going to go past Tom Seaver present, um, Burley. Right on modern day. 
Well, my answer, which should be a surprise to no one, is going to be Nolan Ryan. What? I, right. <gasps> what? Yeah. I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> no, that was I. I remember as a kid, like, because we had family that lived in Houston, and we were not Houston Astro fans, but we were just we were kind of Nolan Ryan fans. Like, just being in Texas, it didn't really matter. Nolan Ryan was amazing. Um, and so when, so we had family that like would always talk about how they'd go to the games, they'd get to see him pitch. And then as a kid, when I was, I think I was like eight or nine years old is when he came up to the Rangers. And so that was like, that was the big time. I was like, okay, Nolan Ryan's coming to the Rangers. We get to see him here. So I got to see several games where Nolan Ryan pitched and it was just, it was so much fun to watch him pitch. And just knowing that he, he's, he still hold the no hitter record. Um, I think he does. Okay. I mean, I think there's a, there's several records. I think he still holds, but I think the no hitter is, uh, I think he had seven no hitters total. Mm-hmm. And he's, has anybody, has anybody surpassed his strikeouts? I don't think anybody has. No, I don't think so. Either. Okay. So, and I've got uh, one of my favorite baseball cards that I have held on to, you know, despite all my mom's efforts at garage sales and other things is my Nolan Ryan 5,000 strikeout baseball card, um, which is not worth anything, but it's worth something to me. So, I'm going to hold on to that. But, uh, yeah, the, the very obvious answer from the Texas boy is Nolan Ryan. It's, uh, Clemens is second. It was Nolan Ryan first for all-time strikeouts. So, yes, he still holds it. Okay. I know Clemens didn't catch him. I know he was close but didn't – or, like, moving up on him. But Yeah, because Ryan got close to – I mean, he was even getting – I mean, I say close to. He was getting close to 6,000. He was somewhere in the high 5,000s. Yeah, I don't remember where he ended up, but. and I and I will I will say too, just in you know, because it is a good choice, and you know, um, I, the second book that I got about pitching was Nolan Ryan's pitching bible. It was Tom House, and it was about Nolan Ryan in there, and it was interesting because there was two different sort of philosophies. Tom Seaver was this kind of drop and drive off the mound type of pitcher, and Nolan Ryan was kind of a tall because he was a taller guy, was a taller and just kind of that whole. So it was a little bit different, and I remember thinking, oh crap, you know, there's a lot more to this game that you know, like I thought it was just, hey, I just do Tom Seaver's drop and drive, and I'm going to be in the pros. Then you start realizing body types and things like that. So I love Nolan, uh, sorry, Tom Seavers. My body type was probably closer to somebody like Nolan Ryan in terms of being height, mm-hmm. where Tom Seaver was like five, maybe 5'11", five 5'10", 5'11". Five he was stocky. I was mm-hmm. stocky. And he was just a dare. so so part of that was it was great because I love the mental approach from him, but my physical thing probably would have been more Tom Seaver, and he he was a big proponent of weights where Tom Seaver was more old school. It was just an interesting reading those two books and by those two grades, it was like, okay, now what <laughs> do I listen to? Cause they're both phenomenal. And like they're, they're and, and they have similar philosophies on certain things and the way they approach the game, but there was definitely some training approaches that were different. I did pick up his throwing a football before, before games. Cause if you ever saw it, you, you must've seen him in the pregame. If you went to your games, um, John, and he would be throwing a football around as part of his warm up. Yep. you know, Throw the perfect spiral. He's talking about the arm slot and da da da, warming up his shoulder. Um, and just an awesome thing about him is just both of them actually longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys, oh, yeah. these guys, you give them the ball to start the game, they finish the game. Not, not, not happening nowadays. Right. You know, but when you gave them the ball, there, that was like Nolan Ryan's thing was like, yeah. my job is when they hand me that ball. Um, uh, Tom Sievers was when they give me the ball, my job is to pitch nine innings. It's not to get to seven. Right. It's not the, the six and a half. It's and get a reliever in there. It was I, I finished this thing. I started. I finished it. I just love that approach. And both of them were were excellent at that. And, the, and they they took care of their bodies and they lasted a long time. And that's just yeah, they're both good. Lee Smith said the same thing about being a reliever. 
at one point he goes, because I was, I was talking to him for a while about it and just kind of asking him like, you know, what are his thoughts on the uh, manager's um, making pitching changes to uh, for the matchups and all that. He's like, man, when I was a pitcher, I didn't even know if I was going to pitch that day. Yep. The, the, you know, there was none of that. It's like the starter went out there and just threw until the starter said, I can't throw anymore. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I, I came in, sometimes I didn't, I didn't know there wasn't any of this, uh, th- this matchup and, and specialty pitching and all that. It makes you also wonder too, like like guys like Lee Smith and and a lot of those relievers, Bruce Suter and all like the different guys back then. I mean, I remember Bobby Thigpen for the Sox who held the record for saves, oh. but like they, um, you wonder if they were used like they are today, would that have helped them with records or would that have hurt them with injuries and over? You know, like it's yeah, an I, it's a it's it's a very interesting question to consider. When like you know, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. But that's a very interesting question. Were, were they so good back then that, like, oh my God, if you're going to get them in every game, they're winning all these games. They're going to have these incredible save records and stuff. Or would they have just been like, or are there guys like that now? But maybe they don't have that same type of career because they're overused. Pitchers get to see them more often. Like, you know, if you go out there, eventually you get this. The part of pitching is when you see a guy over and over again. Right, hitting is when you see a guy over again, it makes you, you start to figure some stuff out. Mm-hmm. So if your reliever is used every day and they're seeing you every day and they never save you kind of for that big moment, is that why some relievers start to break down? Who was the guy that had the kind of the, the um, he was with the Sox and the Cubs. Who was it? Kimbrell. Yeah, Kimbrell. Like, like he was phenomenal. And then all of a sudden it was like people started, you know, you start to see it often. Yeah, you figure it out. Yep. You know, and speaking of pitching real fast. Uh, popped up on my Twitter today. Twenty years ago today, um, Paul Mills, Paul Wilson of the Reds, made a very poor decision in going after Kyle Farnsworth. I don't know, <laughs> Bo, if you guys remember that. Yes. Uh-huh. And Far- Farnsworth just laid his ass out, man. Like for a pitcher, Farnsworth was not a guy you wanted to mess with. No, because he was a big dude. Like he and, was and six something Wilson, and brought it all. Paul Wilson just was battered oh. and bloodied after that fight. Yes. Like, it was like the, the, the video was worth watching. <laughs> you should find it on YouTube. Paul Wilson going oh. after Kyle Farnsworth. All right. Farnsworth just lays him out flat, man. It is like. Kind of reminds me of John's pick again, Nolan Ryan and uh, Ventura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Clash of Titans. Well, and I did, uh, Dennis, I did want to clarify, too, the throwing a football to get warmed up. It was Texas. So, like, the hot dog vendors were doing that. Um, the, uh, you know, the the bat boys were doing Everybody was doing it. The, the it was kind of an everybody thing. Radio right? announced. It was yeah. Texas. So, footballs are everywhere. There you go. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for this episode of the 30-something movie podcast, Rookie of the Year. Go check it out if you have not checked it out yet. Um, we are at 30podcast.com if you want to find all of our old episodes there. We've got uh, 478 before this one. If you want to get our bonus ones, those are over on Patreon. If you go to our website, there is a donate button uh, where that'll take you to Patreon, and you can join us on there and get all the bonus content that comes every month. Our next episodes coming up, we are finishing off the Fun and Games month. Uh, so far this month, we have had Cool Runnings, The Sandlot was last week. Rookie of the Year was this week. And we finish it off next week with Rudy. 
Um, and then our Patreons Rudy. for July are Rudy. From Here Rudy. to Eternity from Rudy. 1953. The Patreon charts are War Games and Westworld. Did and you then, say charts? He did. Did, did I? Bo, Bo, did you hear that? The Patreon charts. <laughs> yes, I charts. did. Oh, okay. Patreon charts. It's <laughs> <laughs> a new podcast you've created. That's I a, was unaware of this. It's a it's a very different bonus content. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. All right. yeah. and anyway, I, I do just have to add to that. Uh, I know that I came into this podcast a little bit late, you know, and no. it was all right because, yeah, well, and, and I was okay with that because uh, while I do, I will say that I enjoyed Rookie of the Year. Um, I think I just protested the first half of the fact that it did center around a uh, Cubs team. So, mm. okay. Oh, I wondered my. how you might feel. Uh, I didn't wonder. I could. I knew how he felt about it. All right, then. That's a good point. There, there was no a reality, wonder. they would have lost. So, anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right, then. Movie. It's a movie. It's kind of like Star Wars. You know, the Cubs win in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying I am so glad when the whole thing about the pitching coach and what does that say about a team? I, Dennis, I love you to pieces, but I, 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 I don't know if I'm glad or disappointed that you weren't here for that conversation. Okay. I think it would have taken an interesting turn. I'm just saying. He's, he's trying to bait me is what he's doing. Well, no, I'm not <laughs> saying that. You know, on exactly. movies, there's the suspension of, uh, you know, the suspension of disbelief. I mean, you have oh, to. Oh, here we go. Here, so. yeah. Okay. Hey, can we mute him? Here we go. Yeah, we, we can <laughs> mute I Guys, you got to let me finish talking. I haven't even gotten to the August charts yet. But it could be <laughs> the best player on the, the August charts. <laughs> Here we go again. Speaking of sharts, Dennis is talking again. A uh, kid being the best player on the team that that is believable, though I guess for the Cubs. Yeah. Oh God, here we go. Yep. I knew it. <laughs> All right, what was that, John? What about next week? What's going on? I mi- I missed the days when I could mute Dennis myself. No, anyway, um, are we being played off? I, I was going to. Yeah, it's like the Oscars over here. It is. Yeah. Um, so August is family and relationships, uh, of which you are witnessing a broken relationship happening right now on the podcast. Uh, but oh in my. August, we've got my life into the West, the good son, Indian summer and Adam's family values, the Patreon episodes. The full one is going to be crawl from 1983. The Patreon shorts. Let me make sure I say that correctly. Uh, our Super Mario Brothers from 1993. And I pulled this one out because, um, I want to say within the last, well, at the time of recording, it's been about a week or so, but the actor Treat Williams had passed away. So I was looking for, I I have uh, those of you guys that can see the video feed. I picked up this fun little DVD set when I was in Austin, Texas one time at the Waterloo uh, record store in Austin, Texas. Waterloo. Waterloo. It is over 70 hours of excellent 80s movies, and excellent is a bit of a stretch. Um, but I thought, hey, I'll use some of these as our Patreon short episodes. And I found one from 1988 called Night of the Sharks. Uh, and Treat Williams is the main actor in that one. So uh, it, it apparently it apparently he, has something to do with gangs, drugs, and sharks. So You have fun with that one. I'm going to have fun with that one. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but, uh, that's, yeah, extraordinary. So. <laughs> that's, that's extraordinary. What do you want to watch next? What do you want to watch next? Yeah. Viewing for a hundred degree day. Uh-huh. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here Where? as well. Thank you. Gentlemen. Yes. I, Where? So, I don't know. I was just, I was trying to make you guys feel don't, better. Don't Jeff, if this was like the Oscars, it would have been you walking up and slugging me and saying, 
Keep the Cubs out of your effing mouth. <laughs> oh my! Keep you know, Dennis, we could make we could make that happen. It's just a joke, Jeff. Keep your keep the Cubs out of your effing mouth. We could make it happen, Dennis. Don't don't put ideas in my head. Those institute days in August are going to be rough for you. That's all I'm saying. Trust me, they were rough. Going to be rough already. Uh, Nothing awesome. to do with you. Well, I'll still be hoping for some playoffs at that point where I think you'll be like, all right, next year. Playoffs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're only five and a half out, and we, we, we're horrible right now. We're yeah, in the same with, division. Uh, same with us. Well, same with us. <laughs> Less than five and a half out, I think. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. Anyway. All right, yeah. Everybody be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Uh, go watch some Cubs games and not the Sox because they're terrible. Um, and we'll see you back here next time. All right. See you later, everybody. I I did everybody a favor and just muted Dennis right after I made that comment. (laughs) That's the gift that keeps on giving.